The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 27 Northwest of South Eurystice awoke when a loaf of bread hit him in the face. Breakfast, his father explained. Eurystice shuffled his way out of the covered wagon he had been sleeping in. They had stolen the wagon and a stash of weapons from one of the hidden caches that they had left in the South. They didn't have a lot of money between them and no real way to make it as they traveled west. But the guns were valuable, especially because of the war. They had been traveling northwest. They knew where the war was being fought. They had seen the map of the battles and had plotted a course between them, both attempting to get out of the south as fast as they could and avoiding the north until they had passed into the neutral territories of the west. The commander had been using his rank to push through places that would have stopped other travelers, but that trick was no longer useful now that they had moved into the western territories. When dawn came, he decided that they needed to shed their uniforms. They arrived at the fort. The cavalry outpost was not what it one day would be, not the city that Paris and I would find. Some of it was still under construction, and there were only a few traders around its walls. Tents, mostly, but there were people building more permanent structures to sell their goods from. The commander decided he would go to the traders and get them some clothes so they could pretend to be settlers moving west to avoid the fighting. Eurystice wondered, were they pretending? Eurystice had slept in. His uniform was stained a deep rust color from the blood that had soaked into it. They had tried several times to stop and wash it, but the stains had set and it would never be free of them. The gray uniform was now a dark red-brown. So the commander thought it was best to leave Eurystice with the wagon and head into town for supplies by himself. He'd spent two of their nicer muskets in trade for what he needed. Get dressed, Eurystice's father commanded, holding a box tied with a string. Eurystice took a bite of bread, untied the box, and opened it. Inside was a dress. I'm not wearing this. Eurystice said, as he dropped the box onto the ground. What's wrong? You don't like the color? It's a dress. So what, you're a girl? Not anymore. There is no need for this ruse. You don't have to pretend to be a boy. You can go back to being my daughter. I am not pretending. This is who I am. I thought you understood that. What I understood is we did what we needed to do to keep you safe. Now you're safe. We're out of the war. We're heading west like you wanted to. We no longer need to lie to people. I am not lying to anyone. You promised to follow my orders. Now, do as you are ordered to do. Wear the dress. With all due respect, sir... I only have to follow your orders if I am under your command. If you make me wear that dress, I am no longer under your command. I am your daughter, and if I am your daughter, I can do as I wish. And I do not wish to wear that dress. Just wear the dress. It will be one more thing we don't have to worry about. We tried it your way, and you failed. There is too much risk in you being found out again. 
My fault. The war was your idea. I just wanted to be left alone. I know who I am, and I do not wear dresses. Don't give me such a goddamn hard time. We have to go into town and pick up the things I bought. I can't do that with you looking the way you do right now. We will draw too much suspicion. Put the dress on. You might like it. No. Eurystice stood, chin up, chest out, waiting for his father to hit him. But he didn't. Instead, he went to the wagon and pulled out one of the nicer rifles, a repeating rifle, and a full box of ammo. He handed it to Eurystice, who slung it over his shoulder. He pulled the gun from his own holster. It was the single-action army pistol. He handed it to Eurystice. You wanna be alone? Stay here, then. I'll be back with the supplies. When I return, at least have a rabbit or two. Eurystice's father untied the horse that had once been Stephen's. He handed the horse's leads to Eurystice. Then he walked back to the wagon. He climbed into the driver's seat, snapping the reins he drove back to the fort. Luke! he yelled from a distance. Try to stay out of sight. I don't want to have to rescue you later. Eurystice wasn't sure how long it would take to get the supplies in return, but if he was expected to have hunted down supper for them, it may be some time. He mounted his horse and rode to the nearby woods. It didn't take him long to come by two quail, and he returned back to the spot where his father had left him. He knew he was in the right place because the box containing the dress sat just where he'd dropped it. He waited for some time, then decided to prepare the birds. He gathered some wood and set up a makeshift campfire. He prepared them and roasted them on the campfire. He didn't have proper cooking equipment, so he burned them around the edges. He looked at them disappointingly. He probably would have burned them anyways, even if he had the right equipment. He waited, but still his father did not return. He ate his bird. Then he ate his father's as well. Serves him right, he thought, for not coming back. Then his mind asked him the question he had been avoiding. What if he wasn't coming back? The sun was beginning to set, so Eurystice decided it was probably best to find some cover. He couldn't sleep here or wait up all night. But he couldn't go to the fort, not without putting on the dress. Probably some sort of twisted object lesson, he thought. Goddamn piece of shit. Always has to win an argument, doesn't he? Not going to work, though, thought Eurystice. I'll just find somewhere else to go. In the soft light of twilight, Eurystice mounted his horse and rode north so that he could go around the fort without being seen. As the night fell and the stars came out, Eurystice kept riding. He needed to find a place to rest, and he did not want to get too far away. But he knew the further he was from the fort, the safer he was from the cavalry. He saw in the distance the glow of campfires, and decided he would at least check them out. Hopefully, they were settlers on their way west as well. But the closer he got, the more he realized it was not settlers. The fires were bigger than he thought they were, not campfires. It was a small village, and it was on fire. He saw no one move, just the burning light. But the closer he got, the more he could tell there had been a battle. The horse hooves in the mud the weapons discarded on the ground, and the bodies of the people who fell. But unlike the battles he had seen, 
These were not men. These were women and children. From their clothes he could tell that they were what his father would have called Indians, which he never understood, because they were nowhere near India. Eurydice dismounted and started to look through the little town, now destroyed. He saw all of the signs of battle. It had been one-sided. Riders had come in. They had been using rifles, and the women and children who tried to fight fought back with farm equipment. They had pitchforks and knives still clutched in their hands. He had seen battles before, larger than this, with more dead. But that was men. Soldiers. These were not. Eurydice dismounted, and he knelt down before a woman who had been shot through three times. Eurydice reached up and closed her eyes. But as he did so, he heard a yell and saw just in time a small boy running at him, holding a scythe in his hand. The child raised the scythe in order to stab Eurystice, but Eurystice just grabbed the weapon and pulled the child in and held him, hugging him. He dropped the scythe to the ground, and the child began to cry loud. So did Eurystice. I'm sorry, kid, I'm sorry, was all he could think to say, until he felt the child's struggling stop, but his crying continued. Eurydice hugged him, until he could feel him hug him back. He let him go, and the kid just fell over, laying practically on top of the dead woman that Eurydice had been kneeling next to. The boy was still crying. Have you come to cry for my friends? A voice from behind Eurydice asked. He turned to see an old man, tall, with long white hair, his skin was tanned to a deep brown, creased and cracked with years in the sun, and a thick white haze covering his eyes. The man was obviously blind. I'm sorry. I had no part in this, Eurydice tried to explain. I know that, young man. No one who had a hand in this would ever cry as you do, explained Apollo. These people were among the last who remembered me. So few people these days still worship the sun, but these people did. They saw the world in a way that was unique, and when they invited me here, I was happy to come. They were beautiful, and I will miss them. But maybe that's the purpose of me. Maybe it always has been. I am the man who passes over. I see the world from a distance so that I can see it all. I remember every tribe, every city, and every nation that has risen, lived, and passed under the sun. I don't mean to judge or to play favorites, but I do anyways. I think everybody does. These people were my favorite, and now... They're gone. Just that one boy left. His name is Hector. You're not one of them? No, I'm Greek, but that doesn't matter. I loved them all the same. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for what happened here. Who did this? Don't you know? Don't you live among them? Apollo walked to a shadow near one of the bodies, and, though it seemed like he couldn't see, 
he reached right for a hat that had laid next to them. He picked it up and walked back, handed it to Eurycity. Aren't these men your friends? Eurycity held the hat in his hand. It was blue with gold accents. He recognized it immediately. Cavalry. No, these men are not my friends. Truth is, not many are. Then you have come here to cry, to grieve with me, even if it was for other reasons. You lost something, too, didn't you, little warrior? What was it? asked Apollo. It's not important, not compared to this. No, I may be able to help you, and in turn you can help me. What is it you grieve over? I have lost my father, the last of my family, and worse, I'm not even sure why. He just left. I guess I was not the child he expected, not the one he wanted. I understand. Seems like it's been a thousand years since I've spoken to my father. Maybe two thousand. Tell you what, I will help you if you help me. How can you help me? Your father is with the cavalry, not by his choice. They are holding him in that fort they built. How do you know that? Because if you stand on a high enough mountain, you can see everything that goes on below you. And I have stood on mountains so high you would not be able to imagine them. I have sailed across the sky, and I know what is true and what is not. Do you want to get him back? Of course. Then you will have to fight for him. Tomorrow the sun will not rise. I am going to take the day to grieve, and in my grief the sky will join me. Tomorrow it will rain. And in that rain, you will have your chance. Go back to the fort and take revenge on the people who stole your father. And take revenge for this child who cannot. Thank you, Eurystheus said, but really kind of asked. Now, you must help me. I wish to have my revenge on the men who tried to erase my friends. And for me, there is only one way to keep them from having what they wanted. Someone needs to survive. This is Hector. He will never know the family he came from. He will never know the songs that they sang. He will never know the name they would have given him. He is the last, and now he has no family. But he will still need a mother. I am nobody's mother, Eurystheus answered quickly. Then marry a girl and give him one. But... His need is still there, and we have a bargain. I can't take care of a child. I can see you are a strong warrior and a good man, but you are more than that, aren't you? This child is a shield. I am lending him to you. If you care for him, he will become a fortress that will protect your family. You need to get into that fort. They will not open their doors for an enemy soldier but they might open their doors.
for a grieving widow and her son. Apollo smiled at Eurystheus, pulling him into a hug and patting him on the back. Good hunting, Luke, he said, and turned away, walking into the darkness till he was gone. Eurystheus set his hand on Hector's shoulder. The child turned and looked up at him. Eurystheus picked him up and held him for a moment as Hector continued to cry. Kid, pull it together. We're going to go get revenge, Eurystheus told him as he put him on his horse. Then he bent down and picked up the scythe where Hector had dropped it. He put it into his hands and told him, Hold on to this. You might need it. Placing his foot in his stirrup, Eurystheus mounted the horse with Hector sitting in front of him. He rode back towards the fort. There was a full moon, and the sky was clear. So, although it took some time, Eurystheus was able to find the same spot he had left from. There, on the ground, waiting for him, was the box. The dress. It's just a costume, he told himself. To do this, I need to wear a costume. Dismounting, he walked over and picked up the box. He dressed. Then he checked his rifle and loaded it, making sure it would not fail him. He double-checked his father's revolver. It, too, was fully loaded. He felt the shift in temperature. He felt the rise in humidity. He had spent many days out hunting, where the weather had turned on him. This kind of weather normally meant he would pack it up, and his hunt was over. But today, it was just beginning. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.